That's right, folks. All aboard the USS Ferry. The Big Blue 82 podcast has just set sail. You're listening to the official podcast for the 1982 Farragut High School Admirals of Knoxville, Tennessee. The largest class and winner of the school's first two state championships. So what have these Admirals ports of call been? Listen now and find out. I'm the class president and host, Vic Moore. And here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to the Big Blue 82 podcast. And today, as promised, we're getting Dr. Troy Goodell on here. Troy, how's it going? Uh, it's going fairly well. Fairly well, Vic. Just a busy part of the time, of this busy time in the school year. Just trying to wrap things up over the next few weeks here. Yeah, you're uh, a professor there, the university that you're at. Tell us a little bit about that position. How long have you been doing that? Yeah, uh, Tusculum College became Tusculum University a few years ago. The main campus is in Greenville, Tennessee, so that's, what, about a 75-mile drive. I I know it pretty well because I commute that three or four days a week. I've been doing that since 2006. There's also a a smaller campus off-site in in West Knox County there off of, see, Pellissippi Parkway going towards Oak Ridge. And, yeah, they they hired me when I was finishing up, wrapping up, well, the final year of wrapping up my, my doctoral degree from UT. So that was very fortunate for me that I could stay in East Tennessee, stay in this area. Oh, yeah. That even with the commute, even with the commute, it's still it's great to be teaching in East Tennessee. That is cool. I mean, to be local and doing something that important and uh, something so honorable to do, too. You're, you're bringing up world leaders there, aren't you, in, in Greenville? Trying to. I, I caught your... Um, uh, the snippet that was on the, the TV station that there, you and the other professor from ETSU giving your uh, response to the Biden nomination and the presidency, and then his uh, statements about being there for everyone in the U.S. during this this COVID trial and trying to make things right. And, and I encourage everybody who's listening to the podcast right now, flip on over to the Facebook page when you're done and check out that snippet. And, you know, this is Dr. Troy Goodell, one of our classmates, guys, and and they want to hear what he has to say about national politics. So what does that tell you? So, Troy, thank you so much again for your your valuable time. You're going to carve out about an hour here during these uh, final preps in school to talk to us. I really, really do appreciate that. So now we got a little bit about what you're doing currently. Let's go back in time. You know, let's get the time machine. You know, gee, Mr. Peabody. And uh, let's go back to 1982. What the heck did Troy Goodell do right out of high school when you went out into the deep ocean blue? Well, let's see. I, well, I graduated in June of 1982. Our class graduated. Mm-hmm. And um, or it could have been May, I guess. Um, Actually, it was but, June, June uh, the 2nd. June the 2nd. I remember the day June well. The remember okay. the marbles? Marbles in hand. Well, I was already well, – I got accepted to the University of Tennessee and knew I was going to be going to school there and, and staying home and – I lived at home, you know, at my parents' house my freshman year, and was still working in Westtown Mall at the, the Orange Bowl, the old Westtown Mall, the way it was set up before the food court and, and everything. Not the Orange Julius, that was on the other end, but the Orange Bowl down towards, I guess, the end of Miller's, and Singer, sewing machine store across from us. Yeah, I remember that. Brooks Brothers, some of those places. Yeah, uh, Orange Bowl sold hot dogs and pizza, those kinds of things. Most people I worked with went to... Bearden High School, or I don't think anybody from Farragut in our class anyway that was, yeah, actually, well, older than me. Uh, Roy Pinkard, a year ahead of us, played football. Yeah. 
Um, I had I was in some Latin classes with Roy. He he worked there. Chuck Hudson, who was a manager at uh, Charlie Peppers mm-hmm. and Hawkeyes and all those kinds of things. Do, uh, do you remember the record the record bar? Remember the record bar there in West? Yeah, Island? the record bar. Yeah, that was down towards with J.C. Petty's, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. During, during my breaks when I worked at Orange Bowl, I'd go down to the record bar or go and, and play in the, the video game thing. I, I like Galaga was the game I liked. Oh yeah, yeah, Galaga. That's beautiful. I. I think I got a pretty high score on that one there. Uh, leisure time, remember Leisure Time Family Game Lab and all that. Yeah. All right. So we had a we had a, we had a Pac-Man little Pac-Man machine that you would sit down at um, in, the, in the back of the Orange Bowl. I, I would play that sometimes. Um, yeah, with the glass the glass like a table, and you look down on your game. That's, yeah, that's pretty yep. cool. We're, we're at the reunion, by the way. I hate to interrupt your commercial for the reunion. We're going to have some stand-up video games at the reunion, scattered about to play and, and, and reminisce. It'll be fun. All right, so uh, back to you, Troy. You're at the mall. You're working there. And then out of that, where, where'd you go from there? Well, uh, let's see. So I finished my well, first year at UT and uh, got a job from a friend, uh, Blaine Walker, who went to Bearden High School. And his his mother, actually, he also worked at Orange Bowl for, for a while and uh, got a job at La Paz in Suburban Center mm-hmm. and started off dishwashing and moved to the various cooking positions. And really, that's what I was doing. It was the night kitchen manager for a few years. And I cooked for about five years. But, you know, when I finished my undergraduate degree at UT, and I, I started about eight months later in the MA program. And at that time, I started to transition to bartending and working out you know, outside the kitchen, out, out front. Yeah, yeah. Now, in La Paz, I remember their logo distinctly. It was that red pepper laying on its side. Is that yeah. the logo? A kind of yes. curly cube. And so that what a great opportunity to meet people. I mean, you talk about talking to people about everything in the world when you're attending bar there and people come in there and, you know, they stuck up a conversation with you. And so what was that like? Well, it got to be a little a, a mini tradition, if, if you call it that, where the that Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, you know, throughout much of the 90s, when I was bartending of our manager closing you know, the restaurant, a lot of people from our class of 82 and, and maybe and some from 83, so it was, it was classes. A lot of them coming from out of town, they would all meet at La Paz. And, you know, there's some of our classmates would come fairly regularly once a week as a group. Uh, B.J. Plumley, E.K. Satterfield, Steve Sosna, uh, God bless him, Steve passed away. Um, they used to come in uh, quite often. God, I, just a, a lot of our classmates uh, you know, would come in on a regular basis, and so I got to keep in touch with that one. Yeah, that, that means it's cool to reminisce early on. And kind of talk to them about what their life station might be. And I can't wait to interview mm-hmm. some other people that you mentioned there. Yeah, um, uh, Memorial for Steve. We're going to have a memorial uh, announcement and tribute at the reunion, as we do every time. and Catch up with what people have passed on. But, yeah, that's great to, to be able to talk to people that you know. And then, of course, a million strangers. And I have this question. Did anybody that came into your bar area and as you're going to school, you're studying politics and everything, did that kind of meld in between? Did any of that ever lead to something else professionally? Encouraged and increased my interest in, in the local political scene and you know, Congress, you know, East Tennessee, those kinds of things. La Paz was very, in a way, political. You had – it was good conversations. You know, Most people are Republican. I'm, I'm Democrat. There was a lot of folks that came in, and we just had some good discussions, uh, good conversations, nothing negative, nasty, or anything like that. 
it, it was really a good thing. There was a, a lot of attorneys that would come in, people that were some local local celebrities from television and things like that would come in. People we knew from high school, people I knew from UT. Gosh, uh, Congressman Duncan would come in. Um, some his, his oldest daughter, maybe stepdaughter, was, was there quite frequently, and you know, he'd pop in all of a sudden, go back and, and talk to her at the table she was at. UT football coaches and, and people from the University of Tennessee. Uh, David Cutcliffe would come in fairly often. During during the Walmart. was that during the Peyton years? Yeah, throughout the 90s when I was bartending and such. Yeah, yeah. during the Peyton years and such. John Shape. Oh, defensive coordinator. Yeah, he went on to be a coach, didn't he? Somewhere. Well, he he moved. Uh, David Cutcliffe went on to be a head coach, and he is now at Duke. Um, John Chavis went to LSU. He, he stayed as a defense coordinator. He went to LSU and then Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's coaching in the college ranks now, but um, he came in fairly often. So it, it really was kind of a who's who of who would come in to La Paz on any, any given evening. That's cool. That's neat. And so that. Tim Burchett. Yeah, Tim Burchett would come in quite often. You know, now he's our congressman. Yeah. Dated a girl that, you know, young woman that worked there with me, that she was a hostess and, and uh, mainly a hostess in, in bus tables a little bit. Tim Burchett dated her for a short period of time. That's cool. So this community develops right in front of your eyes. You're seeing all these people, their influence, and then you start thinking to yourself, hey, I want to get involved in this in in a way that I can make a big difference. So you mentioned Mr. Duncan there. And was it not true? You ran against him on the ticket. And were you not like one of the only Democrats against him that year? Yeah, that always helps to not have have a primary (laughs) opponent. I first decided to run in 92, I guess what I was maybe 28 at the time, just really fired up about trying to, really on the Democrat side, I, I was trying to kind of shake things up. I was, I don't I guess the word conservative now wouldn't apply, but at the time I kind of felt myself more to the moderate conservative side on the, Demo- on the Democrat side. I favored term limits, uh, balanced budget amendments, you know, yeah. things that were, you know, kind of what we would say fiscally responsible, more progressive, I guess, on social issues and such. Yeah, just thought really wanted to see if I could make my mark and had friends around me that want, that were part of the campaign and, and just yeah, it was it was a good time. Yeah, I remember that in the media. I thought, hey, I know that guy. He went to high school with that guy. He's he's like David and Goliath here. I hope he wins. <laughs> Even though at that time I probably was more leaning toward the Duncan uh, philosophy back in that day, but I was still rooting for you, Troy. That was awesome. And, now, and, and it was about raising issues. We you know ran against him what twenty years later. It's similar. We weren't, you know, it was a thing where we can't raise more money than him. We, we really didn't try even go after. We didn't take PAC money. We, not that too many political action committees then would have given us money. Mm-hmm. But it, it was about raising issues. Um, Steve Susan's a graduate in 83. He was my press secretary. And he was right there with me. And in 2012, Steve had been traveling, working abroad for the U.S. State Department on contract work type of stuff. And he helped me uh, at the beginning of the 2012 campaign with press releases, and after that, I was doing it myself. Yeah, it was about raising issues, raising voter awareness, giving people a choice, because Congressman Duncan, when I ran 92, I think in 1990, there, there were no Democrats running against him. I think there might have been an independent running. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought it was just a, sh- it's a shame when you have strong incumbents and nobody even challenges them. The voters don't even have a, a choice at all. Yeah, that, I had never thought about that before, to run as an idea to stir up the issues and get other perspectives on you know the other side that's a great idea you know and then it could always lead to something better later but the the goal is to get this 
to get the community fired up about, hey, you know, there's more than one point of view here. And, and term limits, I mean, that's something still going on today. They still haven't settled that one up. And you wrote a book about that even, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, that, you know, I, I do, I have been in favor of term limits. The, the, the book is, well, it's an academic analysis. It involves research and such. It's, it's not an advocacy. I'm not, wasn't being an advocate for it in that. But I looked and examined at the state level, looking at, legislative term limits. And I focused on a time period, 1988 to 1992, that time period. And when it became really a big, big issue, the Republican Party was, you know, was the one that embraced that, not the Democrats, but I supported that as a candidate and all that. What I found interesting, what prompted me to, to, to research into this was so many states passed term limits because they were quite popular with the voters. But as soon as they were about to kick in, all of a sudden, you saw legislative action and even legal challenges. So either state legislatures or state courts threw out the term limits. Mm-hmm. And very few of the states that actually passed term limits ended up implementing it. So it seemed like it was something that they grabbed a hold of when it was popular. But once it would go into effect and impact these lawmakers who had nice careers doing this, all of a sudden, they, they challenged them and the term limits laws went away. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the title was actually Repealing Legislative Term Limits, looking at these efforts to repeal them. The, the repeal efforts were quite successful, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Same old, same old right now. And um, talk about getting more community involvement. We'll get more uh, leaders involved. And, you know, you, you do your time for a certain limited amount. And then the next person comes in there and they may have a better idea or a worse idea. But at least you get to see more perspective in that thing. But when people take a stranglehold and stay there for like, what, some people 20, 30 years in Congress, yeah. you know, what, what's the deal here? You know, <laughs> and if you I mean, you could have a career service, but running for different offices and hopefully going back to your private, you know, your calling, your, what your job is and keep your connections with the private sector and, you know, your community and, and, and I guess the voters that had sent you to different offices. But, um, yeah, just being wedded to one political office for decades, I, I see as a big problem. Heck, you could be in Congress, say you're in the House of Representatives for, if it was four terms or five terms, you could serve eight or ten years. And then, say, with a two-term limit in the Senate, that's six years times two. I mean, you could still have over a 20-year career in Washington on Capitol Hill being in, in the House of Representatives in the Senate without being in one seat for, you know, for a, almost a lifetime. One thing I noticed about uh, our one of our state uh, senators, Corker, he uh, volunteered, it almost looks like, for one term and got out on his own. He wasn't voted out. He just he stopped being a congressperson and it was like a four year period. And he's gone. Do you know anything yeah. about that? What's the backstory on that? Did he have a family issue or something? Yeah, Bob Corker, what he had been mayor of Chattanooga, served a few terms in the Senate. I don't, I don't know what prompted him exactly to, to get out. Um, he, had, he had been in favor of term limits, but I'm not sure he really imposed one on himself when he first was elected and was honoring it. I think he, he just felt that his time there had kind of, you know, run its course, and he wasn't any. Some, some of these folks just want to keep those positions forever. But Bob Corker had other interests, other things he wanted to do. From what I read and gathered. Okay. So it was the two terms. Went, I thought it was only one. So thanks for uh, yeah. I, I believe I'm I'm fairly certain he served two terms. Okay. Well, that's still you know at least uh, he didn't take the whole huge piece of the pie you know. Um, right. Right. And yeah, that's great. And politics now. 
Okay, so traveling on through the 80s now, 90s, you're getting involved in the political process. You're running on your own. You're trying to get some of these issues stirred up. And then at what point did that kind of evolve into more of a professorial position? Is that a word, professorial? A professor position that you have now. How did that meld into? The moment I started at UT in the fall of 82, I declared political science as my major. You know, I never took American government in high school, Farragut, and I wanted to. I took American history. I took world history, world history when I was a freshman because I, I loved history, loved the social studies, those kinds of things. In eighth grade, I, when I, we moved to East Tennessee and I went to Cedar Bluff starting in November, um, I really took the Mr. Simpson and, and all the, the things we were studying in social studies and all that. Really, really, really enjoyed that. You know, a little bit more about Farragut and nothing, you know, Bill Clabo, Mr. Clabo was the American history teacher I had, and I loved oh, yeah. him. He was he was great. He really, and I, I had I him mean too, no offense. Yeah. yeah, I mean no offense towards some of the coaches that were teaching, but I just didn't get good, you know, feedback information from. I think Dennis Payne may have been one of the American government teachers, and no no disrespect to him, but I just didn't really get a good feel for the people that were teaching American government and to, to where I wanted to take it while I was at Farragut, but I I took it right away when I went to UT. Well, Bill Claybo, he, he also taught American history to my parents, both of them, and me and my older brother. He was an 81 graduate at Farragut. And what I remember about him is he put all the answers to the final exam on the chalkboard the week before the final. All the answers right up there. Of course, you didn't know what the questions were. And then he left it up there, too, I think, up until the time to take the test, then he wiped it away. So he gave us the opportunity to see these are the important things, and they're right in front of your face for a whole week long. And you know, these are the issues of American history. I loved his teaching style. Yeah, sorry not to brag, but uh, the first you know, you know, didn't know him. We were lucky that he decided he didn't like being a vice principal and went back to teaching. Because I'm so glad that he was my teacher. The first test, I got 100. He, he puts 100 and writes lucky next to it. The second test, I got 100 again. He puts lucky again. The third one, I got 100. And he put lucky again. And then after that, he stopped doing that. I, I pretty much got all 100s. Um, I mean, I, I just, you know how kids are in particular. I, I love, you know, the material. I love that stuff so much that, you know, you focus on it and you, you do well. You tend to do well in what you enjoy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I knew I knew I wanted to be, you know, political science or history, you know, at UT um, when I went to college, moved on to college. Yeah. And growing up in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area also, I remember as a little kid hearing President Nixon's resignation speech. I was one of the first things I kind of remember about politics. And so, so me and some of the neighborhood kids were listening to it on the radio. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, mm. And, you know, where I live was about five miles from, from you know, White House, the Capitol and all that. So mm -hmm. I think also living in that area as a young child also kind of, you know, move me in that direction of, of maybe wanting to get involved in politics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go back a little further then than 82. That's interesting. I didn't know that about you, uh, Dr. Goodell. Tell us about what it's like growing up right there in the thick of things. It was quite a different environment. I, I went to a Catholic school from first to eighth grade. Um, where I lived in Maryland was Prince George's County, Maryland. It was close to where the Woodrow Wilson Bridge is that, from Virginia over to Maryland. And D.C.'s so it's, it's an area where Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. all meet. So where I live was two miles from D.C., two miles from Virginia, um, right off the Beltway interstate there. I went to a Catholic school from first to eighth grade, so it was a little bit different than the, the public school setting. H had family in the area, enjoyed, enjoyed living there. 
my father sold shoes, managed a shoe store in, in downtown D.C., and he got transferred ultimately. So we moved to East Tennessee in the, in the middle of the eighth grade. Um, hmm. And that was a big, big culture shock for me because I came from a you know private religious based school. And I go to Cedar Bluff Middle School, public school. And like the third day there, I get surrounded during break. By, and I'm wondering what's happening. Are they going to haze me? And, and I'm surrounded by about a half a dozen students in my class. And the question surprised me. It put me on my heels. They asked me, said, they said, what church do you go to? What, what religion are you? And that was the last thing I expected. Because yeah, well, where I come from, it was more, a bit of a, more of a private thing. Or people knew I went to a Catholic school. And a lot of people were Catholic there. Not so much when I went to Cedar Bluff. But when I told them I was Catholic, it's like they all collectively sighed and looked disappointed. <laughs> and, this, and they replied and said, oh, really? Well, we're Christian. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I, I'm not a Christian for being Catholic. And so we had a, a good conversation and such. And it, it was it was interesting. It was interesting. It's, um, like, it's like, have you ever heard of the Pope? You know, <laughs> the, the, the vicar of Christ here? Hello, there may be a connection. Why? Anybody in there? <laughs> But I, you know, I can't remember the individuals, but pretty much all of them went to Farragut with us also. But, uh, I, yeah, they were kind of telling me why Catholics weren't proper Christians, that I didn't get baptized. And I said, well, actually, we do get baptized. Yo, but what's when you're a baby, you don't understand it. And, and I'm like, well, we get confirmed around eighth grade, you know, ninth grade, around that time period. That's where you're confirming your baptism, you know, what the baptism was about. You're confirming your faith. It's just different. And, you know, most of the, the kids, eighth grade kids, I think they were talking to me, were, were Baptists. And so it's just quite different. Um, oh, yeah, my wife's yeah. Baptist. So it's just, just different orientation towards Christianity of Catholicism versus, um, you know, Southern Baptist. Instead of welcome to the, the land of the Jolly Green Giants here at Cedar Bluff, welcome to the Bible Belt. It seems like the message was. Yeah, that, yeah, it was, it was a culture shock to me. Yeah, um, but I can see with, that. Within four or five months, I, I ended up getting elected prime minister in my social studies class. Um, cool. <laughs> Mr. Simpson had us do uh, parliaments. Par he wanted us to learn about parliamentary systems and coalition governments. And so we each were of different political parties. And then you, we vote, you know, we had elections, and um, I ended up getting to be prime minister. So I ended up getting somewhat popular with, with my class, and yeah, at least in that regard. That's a great way to break into, you know. Uh, what a great inspiration later on to study that even further. You can use it as like maybe you put on a resume as a joke or something, you know. Also, also, Vic, it was funny that um, I don't 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 remember the exact circumstances, but there's some problems with some you know behavioral issues and such, and and um. They ended up putting uh, a lot of the folks that had some behavioral issues together, and they moved them to Mr. Simpson's class, and they were putting the people that were transfer students into that class. So I go into that class, and it was people like uh, Gary Moles, who I ended up being good friends with in high school, Brian Martin, who also transferred in during the eighth grade year. We're all in that same class, David Shahan and John Houston, and uh, a, lot, a lot of folks in, in our eighth grade class there that, you know, went to Farragut High School with and knew in Farragut as well. So the transition, explain to me again, maybe the listeners too, what, what's the transition group about? With the transfer students that you know, like moved to that area were put in that, all in that one class with Mr. Simpson. Okay, so people who out, of, out, of, the, out of this Bibleville area, if you want to use that term, people from outside the, the, the southern area. Yeah, anyway, right, transfer students that came to Cedar Bluff in the middle of the school year, okay. um, eighth yeah, grade, they put them into Mr. Simpson. Those 8A3 was, was my homeroom. And I think 8A3 
maybe the name had changed. They had been under Mrs. Kelly. I think she was a math teacher, and just a lot of, and she was a younger teacher, and just a lot of, a lot of, you know, just people just kind of being loud and all that. And Mr. Simpson was someone that, you know, the students, you know, were more quiet. And he's just, he was older, and, and maybe being a male, that might have had a difference as well. But um, all I know is that when I was put into 8A3, I, I found out that, that Mrs. Kelly had been their homeroom teacher. Then they were moved to Mr. Simpson's, uh, and some of the students were moved into other homerooms to break up some of the folks that were a little too chummy and too much of a, you know, I don't want to say anything too negative, but, you know, just kind of hell-raising a little bit too much, I guess, in class. And, 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 and coming coming from outside communities and other states and cities, you can see where that might be an issue early on because they don't have any roots. They don't know anybody. They don't have any accountability with the community yet. So they feel yeah. footloose, fancy free. And I'm going to do, you know, the dude approves type thing, you know? Yep. And I, I end up making really good friends. Again, you know, Brian Martin and Gary Moles, my two best friends through high school. And so mm-hmm. you know, I met them when I first, um, or actually Brian may have moved um, and came started to see her book a few weeks after me. You, you um, know, when you think about it, that's kind of like a miniature bartending situation there. you got all these different cultures, people, perspectives coming in one place for one reason, to get to know each other better. It's kind of like a miniature pre-bar thing going on. Yeah, and, and the one thing about being a bartender, it is almost like you're not, not an analyst, but you'd be surprised at how many people would come and t- tell you their, their troubles while they're you know, drinking a beer or sipping on a drink or something. Oh, yeah. Um, that happens so, all the time. In, in culture, movies, and everything, that's the standard kind of thing. Your, your secondary job, other than pouring it right, is listening to it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Now, tell us about, you know, you got an award for being a bartender extraordinaire. What what was that about? What year was that? And who, who donned you? That? Um, the weekly the weekly magazine Metro Pulse that was around for 20 years or something. They had a Best of Knoxville each year for different categories. And they had it within you know, food and lodging and stuff. So they had, you know, Best Mexican Restaurant. La Paz got that some. I remember the, the, the Best Italian Restaurant. There was a big war between Naples and then Copper Cellar West had cappuccinos, you know, so the two of them were in competition and, you know, that it, it bled over. I mean, Knoxville News Sentinel had best of as well. Um, I don't remember them. They didn't have best bartender, though. They would have best types of restaurants and such. But the Metropolis did have where it was individuals, you know, best bartender, um, it might, might even be best server and some things like that. That 1993 was the first year that that they had best bartender that I can remember, um, and I came in third. That was it was their editorial staff that ch- ch- picked the winner, and it was someone that was basically formed Pat's Blue Ribbon at the maybe the Snake Snatch, one of the places in Market Square when there really wasn't much going on in the early to mid 90s, you know, downtown. Then the next year, um, I came in second. I think the person that came ahead of me was Brian Walschlager, who was um, a, a you know, fairly well-known musician locally as well as a bartender. Then he moved to Nashville. That might have opened it up for me. But the third year, I know the year that I wanted that it really was a reader's choice thing. It wasn't their editorial staff making the decisions. They actually had people sending in ballots and all that. So I, that was that made me feel even better that I, I wasn't chosen by the editorial staff. I was chosen by, you know, by their readers. Um, and so I was, yeah, received best bartender that year. That 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 put some money in my pocket. I, I'd be working, be busy as heck. And I'd hear, you know, someone I'm waiting on going to get a drink and have my back to them. I hear someone t- telling someone next to them, like, yeah, yeah. You know, you know you, 
Troy there and got best bartender, man. And uh, so the, a lot of the customers were aware of it too. So that was a good thing. Well, that is so cool that you've got uh, such a varied uh, background and career after graduation, Troy. One of the most varied one I can say, probably it sounds a lot like when Jeff Morgan got into our first interviewee that you were going to be the inaugural interviewer, but you, you're so busy right now in finals and everything. So I'm finally glad to get you on here. But you, you've you done a lot of different things in your 40 years so far, and it's pretty cool. Thanks, thanks. Um, you know, I basically have had two careers. I was in the, the restaurant, you know, bar business, hospitality business for about 20 years. You know, all through high school, I was working at the Orange Bowl with my freshman year at UT, and then I you know, moved over to La Paz. And by the time I finished was as an undergrad, I'd moved up to, you know, I'd been a kitchen manager, you know, my, about three years there, night manager. And then moved to being bartender and such as I was beginning graduate school. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I stayed in the restaurant business. And I, I earned that master's degree. I was going part-time, and I think maybe took one year off in the middle of all that. But, but earned the, the master's degree by 1992. And so I was out of school for 10 years just in the restaurant business and such. La Paz eventually changed its name. The owner, Kevin Diffley, of, of well, he, he was the one that ran the, the Knoxville La Paz, and he bought out his partners. La Paz was sort of a regional, southeast regional corporation headquartered in Atlanta. There were stores in um, Charlotte, Nashville, Birmingham, Destin. Eventually, there's like three or four in the Atlanta area. But Kevin wanted to basically wanted to kind of do his own thing, so he bought out his partners and, and took over that one restaurant, sold his interest in the other, you know, the La Paz Corporation. And had to change the name. Actually, the name change came from a, a Simpsons episode. What, was, what, did um, it, what did it change to? Uh, che Guevara, what it is today. Okay, yeah. I remember that. What? So, so C H E Z, like Che, like uh, French house of, home of. A lot of restaurants are Che, Paul, or Che, whatever. And Che Guevara, you know, play on Che Guevara, who was with Fidel Castro. So that, that makes it political and such. But right. it wasn't meant. It was just meant to be a fun thing. It wasn't meant to be any kind of political message from the owner Kevin Diffley. He was very apolitical. One of the servers just came up with the name, and then when we decided that Kevin decided to do that, she later came into it and mentioned to us. She goes, "Oh my gosh, now I remember where I where I heard that term, where it came and popped in my mind. It was from a Simpsons episode." And um, and we actually had the recording of that Simpsons episode. It's one of the things where they're in a car and they're driving all around. There's neon lights with signs for different things. And, yeah, it said Che Guevara. Kevin got permission <laughs> from Fox Television Corporation to be able to use the name Che Guevara. And one time, though, I'm up front setting up. You know, I get there about 4 o'clock um, as the bartender. I'm setting up, and there's a couple – Older folks that look Latino or Hispanic, and they're they're looking mad. They're banging on the door hard, and I'm like, oh gosh! I open the door, and they're rattling the Spanish. I mean, I can't understand them, but they're pointing up at the sign of, of, of Che Guevara. I'm like, okay, they're they're probably Cuban expatriates, ex, expats. So the owner just happened to be in the back, and he did have a double major in finance and Spanish literature or something like that. He could speak and he lived in Mexico city and Madrid. So he could speak Spanish fluently. So I got him to come up there <laughs> and yeah, literally they were, um, you know, landowners kind of middle class people. But when Castro took over, they were kicked to the curb and their land was taken from them and all that. And they were ended up having to leave it, you know, exile. So of course they didn't care for Castro and couldn't stand uh, che Guevara either. And Kevin's kind of on the defensive, but they talked for about 10 minutes and they were just really angry. It was all in Spanish, but Kevin, I could see Kevin, the mannerisms trying to calm him down that 
basically just saying it was it was a joke and they didn't find it funny. But yeah. ultimately, yeah, um, they didn't find it too funny. But it, it was never meant to be a political message. Um, right. But but the bar but the bar of the restaurant was kind of political. Like I mentioned, um, so many local politicians, office holders would come in, news people. Uh, Moxley, uh, Cynthia Moxley, Alan Carmichael came in regularly. Local DA Randy Nichols and his wife would come in a lot. It really was kind of a place to be. And I, and I was also the person behind the bar was the DJ. That kind of got to be a thing. That I'm not saying I was a great DJ or anything like that, but you know, played kind of some bluesy stuff, some jazzy stuff, some you know, '80s music and '70s music and whatnot. Just mix it up. And um, between me and a couple of the other people behind the bar, you know, they knew certain type of music you would go in on certain nights when certain people were bartending. But um, yeah, you know, the business picked up and it became a really popular place to hang out. I remember it. It was it was well in the media and people would say, hey, where are you going this weekend? You hear that name all the time uh, and real easy to find, too, right there on, on Cape Peak and Kingston Pike. Uh, suburban yeah, right area. by Toys R Us. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was doing a stand across the street at the Crystal Drive Through, I think, during some of the time you were working there. We probably should have met some, at some point. Either you come over and get a burger or I'll come over there and you know, get a beer. <laughs> But we just yeah. never did. But we were we were working side by side for a while there. I was there for at least almost two years. That's another weird okay. part of my story, but we'll get to it later. Um, okay, so this is great. You know, you're you're meeting community. You're you're studying what you love to study, which is the community process and how to make it better. Uh, no matter really what political process you have, I think all peoples want a better community, and you're there to make that happen. You weren't really so concerned about being the top dog winner all the time. You just wanted to get the community stirred up and talking about both sides of the issues. And that's that's honorable to do that. And then you go into this field teaching other people uh, now, uh, young, up, bright stars to be one day about the political process. You're, you're grading your papers. You're giving those attaboys. And um, so life is going on, and this is what you're up to. But let me ask you this. You mentioned earlier about your wife being Baptist. So would you like to talk a little bit about your family uh, structure or involvement? How did you meet your wife? What, things like that. It's up to you. When I went, when I returned to UT in 2002 and I was able to get a job, it, it was very serendipitous. Uh, that's the proper word where things just fell together. I, I kind of ran my course there at Che Guevara. I've been doing that for a long time. I was sort of in a rut. Then I helped open up roosters in Rocky Hill, Charles, goes by Tiger Williams in the restaurant business. He was the main manager. Chuck Hudson and the people that owned were the owners of Charlie Peppers were owners of Roosters too. So I, I worked and helped, helped open that place up and was there for about a year. And really that I just saw that that was fun. It was different, but that wasn't really going to go anywhere for a career for me to make money and, and, and those kinds of things, but make enough money. Um, I, I really took a pay cut moving there doing that um tips were so good at, at La Paz Che Guevara um plus I made good you know hourly and everything so anyway so I looked into getting back into school I always knew I wanted to do that and it just so happened they had some positions for for graduate teaching assistants graduate teaching associates so I'm, I'm going talking to them in May and sometimes that stuff's already filled up and, and, and there's nothing available but they had some spots available for PhD students new doctoral students and even, you know, getting um, a stipend in, in teaching. So I was able to get awarded all of that. So, so I was teaching one or two classes at UT while taking my full load. 
um, and had to, had to incur some student loans. I, I take a, taken a few student loans during my um, undergrad and MA program. Sally May, very small amount. I'd paid that off in five years, but incurring I, I incurred some debt with my PhD. I knew I would, but that was I was following my dream. I still have student loans, but that's fine. I'm I'm fine paying them back. So I'm 80 if that's what I have to do. But um, yeah. So I I get so I get back into UT and, and I'm living um close to Bearden High School off Gallagher View, Gleason Road, in Idlewood. I had a little owned a little townhome there, and uh, sold that and, and moved to Gay Street, where it'd be closer to more, much more convenient to go to school and such. And I've lived there ever since. So I've lived in the 411 building of, of on, on South Gay Street there. Market Square is my backyard. Um, Right below our apartment building is um, Sutry's and Babalu and Mass General Store right across the street. Wow! So you know, so Knoxville's small downtown area. I'm right, you know, right in the middle of it. You know, they've had those Rossini festivals every year that would block off the street and music and good food and arts and crafts and all that. Um, a buddy of mine that he went to Farragut, I think he he transferred in maybe tenth grade. Uh, Wade Merritt. Wade Van Merritt. Yeah. Um, Wade and I w- were buddies and worked together at La Paz in the kitchen. We're roommates off and on. He joined the Army on two occasions and, and served in the Gulf War. And George, President George Herbert Walker Bush recognized Wade um, oh, in cool. a speech to Congress. Um, I was actually behind the bar, and someone calls me up and said, Hey, man, President Bush is mentioning Wade Merritt right now. And I, <laughs> I, I hung up on him. I'm like, No way. It, and the person that called was a bit of a clown, but, you know, a bit of a jokester, yeah. um, funny guy. And so I, and I'm like, yeah, right, Greg, yeah. And he's like, no, Troy, I'm serious, I'm serious. And um, sure enough, um, it was the rationale for being there in the Gulf War that Wade had written a letter to his mother saying that he was proud to be serving and proud to be an American and all that. Lee Greenwood ended up taking that part of that speech from President Bush that mentioned Wade Merritt and incorporated that and had a uh, sort of reissued a, a new edition of that song oh, cool. about being proud to be an American. WIVK played it all the time. Oh, neat. Um, like, so, like so the Lee Greenwood, the Lee Greenwood song. Probably. Yeah, Lee yeah. Greenwood song. Yeah. But I, I mentioned Wade. Wade passed away also. And God bless him. Wade is the one that introduced, helped get me introduced to my future wife Elizabeth. Wade was on some some medication. He was subjected to, to poison gas in the Gulf mm. War from Saddam's forces, and that, and maybe the, the army's treatment and inoculations of vaccines. I don't know, but he ended up having a, a version of Gulf War syndrome. And he never, never got better. So he, he came over actually to spend the night. He, he usually was the caretaker for his mother and was there all the time with his mother. And his older brother, Brian, who's Knox County Sheriff's Officer, stayed that weekend. Wade came and crashed on my couch and everything to be here for Rossini Festival. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to go across the street to downtown Grill and Brewery. And we go upstairs. And you know, there's a bar area upstairs. And the Masters or, or, or something of uh, golf was on. And uh, Wade and I are sitting there talking, and, and a very attractive woman came in, um, looked like she just come off the golf course, looked real preppy, African-American woman. And she asked us who was who was winning the golf. And my back was to the TV, and I, I turned around and was talking to her. I was like, I've not been paying attention. I don't know. So she sat down on that uh, you know, that other side of, of me from Wade, and I'm back talking to Wade, and, and Wade kind of had a, a reaction. I don't think he'd been taking his meds. And he basically just, literally, we had two beers and a shot. And Wade just kicks his shoes off and puts his head on his arm and starts to go to sleep at the bar. 
And I was like, oh. And so and I knew everybody at work there. I live across the street. And some of my friends would go in there all the time. So some the guy that, a couple guys that work there, you know, one guy in particular, we, we got weighed up and brought him back over here and put him on my couch. And, and I asked the bartender to, to buy the, the lady a, a glass of wine. That it, she, she helped me put uh, get Wade's shoes put on and everything and get him right, brought him over. So I go I, I went back over and, you know, and had a, a, a few drinks with her and started talking with her. And we just hit it off. And it was April 8th when we met. And then we ended up going on our first date two days later, April 10th. And then um, at the end of that date, she, I kind of, you know, she knew that my birthday was the 12th. And she asked me what I was doing on my birthday. And I said, well, I'm going to do some things with some friends, but no, no heavy duty plans. But so she asked me out for a second date to celebrate my birthday. And, uh, you know, we, Never broke up. We dated, you know, we're dated ever since, and we dated for a number of years, and got married um, December fifteenth in twenty twelve. Well, that's cool. Right now, this time of year, April ish, is uh, good times for you to remember. And yeah. What yep. year was that when you started dating in April? Uh, we met in two thousand six. Okay. So yeah, we dated for a while before we got married. Oh. Um, we've been married for what uh, eight years now. That's great. That's a so far come up on anniversary of, of being together meeting that's a long time to know somebody and still be with them so obviously well, actually yeah 15th anniversary 2021 2006 so yeah this this, this few weeks ago was our 15th right. anniversary of, of meeting and getting to date that's awesome you know you talk about uh community and getting along that's what it's all about and you find you find somebody like that and you just you know you got to stay together it's just working out too good yeah, and Elizabeth came with me to the to our last reunion, what, in uh, 2002? Or what, when we well, had that? Was 12 was the one we had, the 30, over at uh, World's Fair Park, yeah. yeah. It used to be the old, um, where the World's Fair was there, that was the Australian. Yeah, you know, it was the, old no, house. It was the old Strohaus. Yeah, the German yeah. yeah, Strohaus. Uh, that was pretty so cool. So they call it the Foundry, I believe, now, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, I worked at the World's Fair as a uh, souvenir uh, shop uh, cashier and had the World's Fair on-site world purchase, biggest purchase ever up to that date. A guy comes up from Texas and buys $1,100 worth of medallions, and he takes them back to sell them. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I remember oh. the World's Fair. Did you go to the World's Fair much? Yeah. Um, I, You know, with us, the drinking age kind of was a moving target. Um, I think when we were 17, they raised, they bumped it to 18, and <laughs> Um, I know right before I got to be 18, they bumped it to 19, and so my drinking age was 19. I know some folks had fake IDs and those kinds of things and would go to the World's Fair and drink at the Stroh House or wherever. I ended up going to the World's Fair a few times. It was when a family would visit us. We, we had more family visits at that time than any other time you know, we lived in Knoxville. Uh, so I went more with family, a few times with friends, but uh, I didn't really hang much there. I was still more of a West, West Knoxville guy. Yeah. But, yep. uh, yeah, it was great having the World's Fair, that's for sure. Yeah, those, those are good times. I remember a lot of those good times. All right, so let's talk more about what's going on with you and as we evolve into teaching profession there in Greenville, Tennessee, which is not to be confused in Greenville, South Carolina. A lot of people do that. I used to do that a lot. So in the Greenville area, what's going on up there as a professor now? you got finals, obviously, going on right now. But how is that going? You're, you're a chair of a department. Yeah, I chair the Department of Social Sciences, so that houses our the political science program. We have a criminal justice program. Let's see, we we have a sociology minor. Mm -hmm. 
and we have service learning as is, is part of it's tied in with our mission of serving the community and being active engaged um, citizens this notion of active engaged citizenship and again service learning and, and serving the community being involved in the community are, are big parts of, of Tusculum's heritage and Tusculum's the Tusculum University was Tusculum College forever and ever and actually it was originally the Greenville College and the Tusculum Academy merged so Tusculum is the first university in the state of Tennessee by earlier in the same year that the University of Tennessee 1794 came into existence wow so, so Tusculum that- Tusculum claims to be the oldest college in the state that is awesome because you think about it people get confused when they see that tennessee logo 94 Mm -hmm. and the state started in 96 and they're like wait a minute how does that work out (laughs) so tusculum even beats that wow that's cool yeah and tusculum the name itself comes from princeton the president's house in princeton was called the tusculum house and it was it was a preacher a couple couple men one of which was a, a preacher presbyterian pastor that came to the, the frontier of, of East Tennessee from New Jersey, from Princeton, and you know founded what would be called Tusculum Academy and named the institution after the President's House in Princeton. Now, the President's House in Princeton, Tusculum, is named after Cicero, Marcus Tullius Cicero, the Roman orator and leader, philosopher. He, he was the consul or their chief executive like in the latter days of the Republic. Then he, then he was assassinated by Mark Antony's henchmen and such. A little bit after Julius Caesar being assassinated. So uh, Cicero, Tusculum, what's that connection? Tusculum is the village outside Rome that Cicero is from. Okay, that makes sense. All right, cool. So, That's, yeah. I always like to know etymology and where things began, you know, the starting points. That's so wonderful. Um, and, and another good reason to start doing these podcasts on all of our varied students and their careers, involvement. We have so many... You know, Troy, we have the largest senior class that Farragut High School has ever had to date. Oh, still? I yes. didn't realize that. I've still. been checking okay. every year. I call 966-9775, and I'm like, hey, you know, like, oh, no, no, no. We're just doing about five, 550 now. <laughs> you guys were the well, biggest. <laughs> wasn't it? Because I always remember the number because of, uh, well, Quaaludes, I guess. 714 <laughs> was our number, I thought. But 640-something graduated, but we had 714 in our senior class, I believe. Well, that's a new one on me. I didn't know what we started with. But, yeah, you're right. We graduated 654. And I'm trying. I'm doing some research right now. I'm trying to find out if we're the biggest class in the state of Tennessee ever. And this is my marker. I called out there to Memphis at Bartlett. And right now they're the largest class in Tennessee, 2,900 students. But they have less than 600 seniors right now. And that's an indication that even modern day, it's not getting bigger and bigger. It's kind of like, you know, but fizzling down. So I'm still looking into that. And I've contacted, if you know anybody at the state level, I've contacted them at the, at the board, the high state board that keeps track of these statistics. They haven't emailed me back yet, but, you know, whatever. I guess they're busy with COVID and everything. So, and they could tell. They would know exactly how big it is. But anyway, it's going to be fun. Our reunion is going to be awesome this uh, coming up reunion next year. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, now Troy, let's let's kind of circle back around. We're gonna like a round robin here. We're gonna think back to the early '80s when we graduated. I'm gonna ask you some quick questions, kind of like word association, I guess. But uh, um, like for example, this one: What was your favorite subject in school? I think we all know that one. I would say world history. That took my freshman year. Yeah, yeah, um, that was an easy one for you. All right, Mrs. Church. Mrs. Church taught that. Oh yeah, I remember Mrs. Church. 
Okay, so now what was your favorite uh, music as far as like band or, or, or singer solo? Van Halen. I remember we had remember we all had the, the, the giant class picture out on the football field stands. Yeah. Um right. it was a sunny day. I remember that. I had my nineteen eighty Van Halen invasion t shirt on for that for that occasion. If you have a copy of that photo, please send it my way. Over the years, that's the only one I don't have now, a copy of. Or anybody I don't listening. Think I have. If anybody listening right now, please send me a copy of it digitally through the email FHS. Yes, I would too. love to see that. Yeah, again, that that email. Let me give it out again for other reasons too. If you want to be on the podcast, one of our six fifty ish people, please contact me as FHS Big Blue nineteen eighty two at Gmail, and just send me an say, Hey, get me on the podcast. I'll get you lined up just like we've done Troy here today. All right, back on the round robin. Your favorite place to hang out back in that day. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, it's the, the parking lot of the Burger King on Cedar Bluff. <laughs> with with Brian Martin and Gary Moles, we'd have a few. We, we actually go down there and get, get a Whopper. <laughs> they actually had these veal parmesan sandwiches that oh, were yeah. fast food. That was I, I love those things, and they got rid of them like after we got out of high school, and they never had them again. I, I never brought that. them back. But, yeah, the, um, the, the extra sauce. I get extra sauce on that. Yeah, it was, it was, it, you know they had the chicken little chicken parm things that they'll bring on as a special, but they had little they had veal parm little sandwiches. Um, it looked like you know long aided like a little hoagie, but a little mini one. But anyway, I like that. But I like walk whatever. Um, okay, uh, like that, that real quick that that's that Burger King had a long, really far parking lot that went went way all the way up into the edge of the woods, and it wasn't well lit, so. We didn't turn the music up too loud, or the police would come, or something would happen. But, you know, we would just hang out there, just you know, just chill and listen to music, and, and well, drink drink some beer sometimes, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and they, of course, the police never knew that was going on, not in that area. No, no. <laughs> okay, let's shift gears a little bit. Your favorite TV show in early eighties? Hmm. See, that's a that's a stumper uh, for me. Um, I can't go back and place really what I like to watch at that time period. I guess. Okay, we can pass. Yeah, they did that on yeah, Family. Sorry, I, Family Feud does that. You know, Steve Harvey. Yeah, I'll pa- that's what I need to pass. <laughs> okay. And then later, when I was working in the restaurant business, I worked evening, so there there's only a few few nights that I'd be off and watch shows anyway. But, uh, right, the prime time kind of taken away from you. All right, what would be your favorite eatery? Now you mentioned the hangout was a type of eatery, but let's say eatery proper. Where would you go? Peros was good. Yeah, you know, there's there's a Peros Peros P E R O S. There was one in the Hamburg area on Kingston Pike, the original one, the original one. Eventually, when that that family just closed it down, Ed McKay used bookstore opened up there first before they moved to that bigger spot. But uh, Perro's was really, really good Italian food. Let's see. Where I worked at La Paz was Antonio's, too. Remember Antonio's on Cumberland Avenue Strip? Yeah. Antonio's was was a popular place for college students and everything, and people hanging out and living the fort, living the fort, Fort Sanders and all that. But he, for maybe five years, he had a second restaurant. And actually, La Paz bought the spot, you know, bought the restaurant spot from him and bought the equipment, the, the chairs, pretty much everything was left at, in there, and they remodeled a little bit. And I, I started working there about three years after it opened. When I went in there, I was like, yeah, yeah, I've eaten here a few times. Also, going out farther west, DeGenova's Pizza, Dan DeGenova, I got to know later. Calabash West, I think, was the name of the place where you can get all you, all you can eat seafood. Oh, yeah, um, I remember that, yeah. Uh, my father and I, man, but we would just we would just chow down on those little, <laughs> little 
little bowls of shrimp they would bring out to you, fried shrimp. Oh, yeah, the calabash. <laughs> but you're bringing about some really good memory. You got a good memory, to, and you got all these details along with it. That's great. Uh, and I, pre- I know the listeners appreciate all this because that's why we're doing this. And all right, let's see a couple more here. What what sport did you monitor or get into back in '82 ish? Yeah, the default, I guess, for t- for television would be I enjoyed watching the NFL. Yeah, football, NFL, college football. You know, I've lived growing up in the Washington D.C. metropolitan area. Um, I grew up a big Washington Redskins fan, and moving here, I I understood the Tennessee Alabama rivalry immediately because it was very similar to, to the Redskins Cowboys rivalry. And when I'm a little kid, the first memory I had when we moved to, to D.C. from the Philadelphia Pennsylvania area in 1970 71, when I was you know real little, about to start first or second grade the coach was george allen and he had the over the hill gang and he literally was a rah-rah cheerleader type of coach and he really created a college atmosphere among the fan base and such um and brought the redskins back from being really sorry from the late 60s and um, they went to the nfc and well heck went to the super bowl and lost to miami in 1972 season um is that when miami went undefeated that year yeah, the year Miami went undefeated, they beat Washington in the Super Bowl. But Washington crushed Dallas in the NFC Championship game. Um, my parents went to that. We had season tickets, the Redskins games and such. So, yeah, coming down here, um, I, I really picked up on the Tennessee and understood Tennessee-Alabama rivalry right away. It reminded me of the, the Redskins-Cowboy rivalry, but more on the football and basketball side of things. This is not on my list, Troy, but you kind of made me think of it. What would you rename? that Washington football team? What would you name it? There's one name that's been proposed, I believe it's the, the Red Tails, and there's a connection with an African-American unit in the Air Force from World War II. Mm-hmm. I think that would, that, that would be appropriate, you know, give, given the nature of the community there. So, Something like, you know, the, 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 the logo I've seen where you just see a red potato, um, but that, was, that would be a joke. <laughs> but uh, Red Tails, Red Hawks, would be fine. I've heard some people say warriors, but you're still kind of going in that area mm. of is it appropriate or not? I, I don't think warriors is, is an issue because it's not specific to any particular ethnic group. But um, I don't understand. Uh, There's so many um, words in D.C. like capital, yeah. senate, um, these political right, terms. Yeah. Why isn't somebody leaning more toward a political name? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I haven't seen too many political names. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the owner sent out a list to the season ticket holders with a long list of names and basically said, give me a short list of who you like. And they're going to tally those up and that's going to help inform them on what they're going to change the name to. Yeah. It actually even had the Washington Griffins. It had all kinds of things on there, which is funny because I, I have a nephew named Griffin. Any Hardly any political names on there, on that list. I mean, like Capitol, National. There's a baseball yeah. team, isn't there, called the Nationals? Right, and the old team was called the Senators. Yeah, um, something like so. that. I mean, that's an obvious choice for me. Something about yeah. America, the the flag holders, or, you know, I don't know, something real generic that's not at all one party or the other or the third, you know, just, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry to take a distraction track on there, and we are starting to get a little bit winded here on our podcast interview. I think, Troy, you may uh, have the world record lar- longest interview. All right, let's say favorite movie. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> All right, cool, yeah. That was a good one. Um, um, that was a little after we graduated. If you wanted to kind of know, I remember while we were still in high school, 
and I was afraid I might not get in because it was an R-rated movie. But Life, Monty Python's Life of Brian. Oh um, yeah, hilarious. That was a gooder. I got that on uh, Blu-ray. All right, I think the last one then would be your most hated subject back in the day. That would be a toss-up between Algebra Two and Chemistry. And my issue was with Algebra Two, well, STEM Geometry, Algebra Two, Math and Science. I mean, I, I was okay at that up to a point, but I wasn't interested in that. And I sat in the back, and I'm, I'm surround, you know, around other people. And we're talking and, and distracting each other and such. So I, I didn't get good grades in geometry. The, the teacher uh, didn't get along with it all that, that well. Uh, was it Mr. Heron? I think I had for Algebra Two. One time, one time, you know, I, I said, "Why do we have to go through all this letters and number stuff?" And he gave me a formula, and I did it through long math, and I got the answer back to him in like less than five minutes. <laughs> His jaw dropped, and he goes, "That's very good." And then he and he said, "What if I said?" And he gave me some kind of problem that you know, it would take me three years to do long math. And I went, "Well, I can't. I can't do that." Said, That's why we have algebra. I just didn't take that very well, and. In chemistry, same thing. Mr. Loy, we called him Dr. Loy. Um, mm. He knew his stuff. And, um, he taught physics at the other classes, but he also taught one section of chemistry, and that was the one I was in. So it's nothing about these teachers. It was it was more about not the subject I was very interested in. And, and plus, there's people in the class that we always like to joke around and stuff, so I wasn't paying attention, so I didn't do as well. So hated subject. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess you'd say algebra two. Well, yeah. we're about to wrap things up here, Troy. Wait, any final okay, words? Yeah, real quick, yeah. real quick, if I could, Vic. Um, sorry to interrupt you there. Just in connection with that, um, the math, some math is definitely necessary. You know, learning about statistics and quantitative analysis. Again, that's not my area within political science. I'm more on the humanities and philosophy side of things. But still, you know, I am a social scientist and have engaged in research and, and can understand and read research and interpret it those kinds of things, statistics, and obviously science and empiricism are very, very important. Yeah. So I don't want to act like those things weren't, were not important to courses or classes in high school. But um, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really need the, the hard science or the, the, the heavy duty math very much. But you're right. Yeah. Empiricism. What are we going to do without solid objects to kick around? We wouldn't have a football team. That's uh, right. Okay, so let's wrap this thing up again. Our guest today, Troy, Dr. Troy Goodell, professor, former politician, current politician, if you want to use the word, actively involved in your community, which we should all be a politician in that sense. Great bartender, great listener, and very interesting guest here on the Big Blue 82 podcast, I might add. And thanks again, Troy, for coming over. What's your final thoughts or your, your motto? What would be your motto now um, after your 40 years of learning? What, what do you take with you? Be a lifelong learner. Doesn't mean you have to be in a classroom and do it in a formal setting, but approach everything where you're, you're, you're learning, where you're open to new information. It just makes life seem so novel and fresh constantly if you can st- kind of keep that attitude. And, and one final thing about back in the day, you know, I was, you know, wa- again, Washington Redskins fan. You know, what <laughs> our uniforms, our colors, Farragut Admirals. I'm like, I like the star and all that, but I didn't really care for the, the Dallas Cowboy look <laughs> to the football uniforms. Oh, yeah. Completely so that, that always rubbed me raw, the wrong way, not raw, but the wrong way. <laughs> and, uh, oh, hey, one one thing, I'm not sure you're going to get this from anyone else. Do you remember the pep, yeah. pep rally? Yeah, yeah, gosh, remember we had the pep rally in the gym? I was there, and it was our freshman year because Bill Bates was a senior. And Bill Bates' mother was a, a substitute teacher at Farragut. 
Okay, if you remember this, this, this needs to be told. We had one of those things where these football players came out and they sat on chairs and were blindfolded and their girlfriends were next to them. Uh-huh. Then their girlfriends backed off and their mothers came out. <laughs> and the thing was, they were going to get and try to kiss them. Oh, um, yeah. All the guys kind of figured out that it wasn't their girlfriend, or none of them kissed their mother except Bill Bates, and he just started kissing it. He was trying to show off, and his mother didn't back away. I mean, he's, <laughs> his mother was making out for about maybe five seconds um, until, until – then all of a sudden, you know, she spit. Once he, the, the thing was off, this blindfold thing was off, you know, he's spitting and wiping his mouth. And, but that was the funniest – that might have been one of the funniest moments at Farragut that I can think of. Uh, I, th- I think I remember being in that pep rally, yeah, because I was like, wow, these guys are like NFL players to me. I'm just a little 14-year-old runt, and they're graduating yeah. next year. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Bill Bates Bill Bates goes on to be a star at UT and then a star for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and then, and I thought it was interesting. He gets back on that star helmet. He just can't escape it. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you, Troy. Yeah, that's a great thing to put out. I, I That is a great memory. It takes us all the way back to freshman year when we were over 900 in Nooner. And Ken Sparks was the football coach and, and one of the gym teachers and phys ed teachers also. Remember right. we had Ken Sparks? Oh, yeah, there. yeah. And he went on to be very influential at Carson Newman. Carson Newman. Yeah. yeah. And, and Carson Newman and Tusculum are in the same conference. So we at Tusculum play Carson Newman. They're our rival in football and basketball and such. We also play Lincoln Memorial University. They're also uh, in the conference and such. Is that the ACC? Well. Is it the ACC conference? S-A-C-S, maybe SACS. Okay. S-A-C-S. My little brother played basketball for Mars Hill. I think they were ACC. Yeah, that same conference, Mars Hill, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, awesome. Thanks again, Troy, for being our guest here today on the podcast. You've been very informative, entertaining, and you brought back some really good memories, and I appreciate that. I know our listeners do, too. So we're going to take it on out of here for another Saturday night, as they say. Um, And thanks again, Troy. And tune in. And and y'all, remember, catch him on the Facebook page and also Admirals in the News to get a story where he gets to talk a little bit about the Biden uh, presidency and how influential he is going to be as our new president. So thanks again, Troy, and have a great day, and and can't wait to uh, see you at the reunion next year. Yes, yes, thank you. Take care. All right. Also, if you're interested in being recorded, be on the podcast. Contact me, the host, Vic, at FHSBigBlue1982 at gmail.com. Once again, FHSBigBlue. 1982 at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on the Big Blue. Have a great day.